Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Indracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have any edition of any game, even out-of-print products. With Noble Knight, you can sell back your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. But let's hear a quick word from them. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online open 24 7 on the web they have dnd and other cool rpgs any edition any game even out of print products and at a discounted price that's out of control have a bunch of old game products collecting dust dangerous allergens noble light will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore looking at you indiana jones rpg so go to noblenight.com and get by it and sell it. Take back your life and tell them the Tone Show sent you. Today, we're talking about the first Sage advice column, the second D&D 5th edition feedback survey, and speculating about future D&D products. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Which kind of golem is best? Andrew Kane. Let's start with you. Which kind of golem is best? You know, I, I thought a lot about this. And, uh, you know, although a flesh golem's pretty sweet, among others, I got to go with like an iron golem because uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite animated films, The Iron Giant. And so it's my <laughs> idea of living in that world and they're freakishly strong. So can't go wrong with an iron golem. I always picture them voiced by Vin Diesel. So exactly makes perfect sense. <laughs> and also here with me is Dave Gibson. Dave Gibson, which kind of golem is best? I'm going to go for more obscure and go with adamantine. So when your party nice. breaks out their fancy meteor are so meteor war swords and tries to beat up the theoretical iron golem, does nothing. They're screwed. Uh-huh. Topher Cohen, which kind of golem is best? I'm going old school. I'm going the old stone golem. I don't know why, but I always think, even though I know that it's never been pictured this way in the history of D&D, I think the thing from, you know, Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. I think a stone golem, and I, I you know, want Michael Chitlis to be, you know, voicing it when it happens. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a big fan of the stone golem. I like the fourth edition version. It was a ton of fun. The first sage advice column by Jeremy Crawford appeared on the Wizards website on February 16th of this year. Uh, essentially, it was a very introductory column. He sort of explained like, hey, here's how I'm going to answer things and I'm going to make judgments based on rules as written, rules as intended, and rules meant for fun. He answers some questions about errata, that there will be errata for the core books. And he said they're probably going to start by publishing corrections for the player's handbook, move on to the other core books from there. And he's saying that the first errata won't be major overhauls of any rules or classes or feats or anything. It's mostly going to be clarifying things that were unclear, fixing punctuation, that sort of thing. I think he's taking a very good approach to it. You know, he's 
not just thinking about the rules as written, but also thinking about the intent behind them and the fact that this is a game and people want to have fun. I'm wondering what you guys are thinking of this Sage Advice column. And Topher, I'm actually going to turn to you first as a man who played 4th edition with me and organized play. And we, we had all sorts of errata and rules and that kind of thing. This would have been really helpful in 4e to have a column like this uh what's your opinion behind this i agree i would have killed for this in fourth edition i remember having conversations of well i think the rule is saying this but so here's my initial takeaway from this is the fact that they want to again stress something that's been stressed from the very beginning of D, but they want to stress it even more in this edition and that the rules are the rules as a guideline that you want, they really, there's a whole section where they talk about rules as written, uh, rules as intended, and rules as fun. And I love the fact that they're spelling out to DMs and to players, hey, it's okay for uh, you to bend the rules if it's going to be more fun for your table, more fun for your players. Mm-hmm. I, I also love the fact that they come right out and say, fifth edition now belongs to thousands of groups playing it. And, and it would be inappropriate for the design team to use errata as a way to redesign the game. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. This is obviously meant for home play. This is not, and I I hope they address that sooner than later, but I don't think that they're talking to the organized play folks with this. Because, as you know, James, organized play, you want to stay as close to the rules as possible Mm -hmm. because you're getting a lot of new players and you want to teach them the rule system. I think it was Picasso or some artist like that who said to paint the way he paints he had to learn how to paint the human form perfectly then he can change it i think it's the same way with rules like this you have to learn the rules correctly you know that we should definitely mention that that this column uh, unless it specifically says is probably talking about home play obviously there's lots of places including dndadventurersleague.org that you can get information and and clarify things about the adventurers league all of the guys who are there are very active so reach out to them if you have any organized play questions for sure andrew kane what did you think about this sage advice column uh, I really liked it on a number of levels. Uh, one of the things that I really liked is kind of talking about the DM as the bridge between the rules and what might be explicitly covered and what might be up to interpretation. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, having played with you a lot, James, I always appreciate your flexibility and kind of looking sometimes at, can I do this? Can I not do this? What does it say? What do they mean, et cetera? And so I think looking at how the rules are written, the intent behind them, and remembering that it is a game and there is supposed to be fun there. It's not supposed to be kind of you're trapped uh, within a rule that maybe just because of the wording or something like that wouldn't allow you to do something. Uh, I just appreciate that outlook uh, and that reminder because there's a lot of different people playing the game, a lot of new people coming in who, as was stated, need to know the rules in order to play effectively. But at the same time, uh, you want to be able to have that flexibility uh, and that fun. Um, and so I appreciate that that's put out there at the beginning, um, looking ahead to what comes uh, through this column. So I'm, I liked it. I'm excited. If I'm a new player, I am feel very comfortable reading this column. I think the way it's written and I think the topics he's covering make me feel like, oh, okay, this is not the highest 
court in the land, the highest court in the land is still the DM who sits at my table with me. And so I should pay respect to that and allow my friends to adjudicate the game and not constantly be pulling up sage advice articles to argue points and that kind of thing. Dave Gibson, what do you think of this article? Well, I agree with you that I like how it doesn't replace DM adjudication, and it actually spells it out in the article about how it doesn't want to do that. And I enjoy that the first um, first question asked is responding to that, of why even have a column like Sage Advice when the DM can make a ruling, and how it's both justifying its existence, but also saying that the DM is still the most important person. It's a little mission statement. You get a little <laughs> movie trailer on you. There are times when the design intent of a rule isn't clear, or one rule seems to contradict another. Dealing with those situations is where Sage Advice <laughs> Let's move on, guys. Let's talk about the second 5th edition feedback survey, which we got, which also gave us a sort of little report about the first 5th edition feedback survey. So first, let's talk about the feedback from the first survey, um, which basically he says, you know, it seemed like a lot of people were overall very happy with 5th edition, which, you know, reflects my anecdotal evidence I've been hearing talking to everybody, but a significant amount of players feel that the ranger is a little underpowered, specifically the Beastmaster build. Their plan to correct this is not to go in and do an overhaul of the entire ranger class in the player's handbook, but possibly add some new options for the ranger, uh, probably through an unearthed arcana column. At first, it doesn't make the ranger class in the player's handbook useless. They did say that a majority of players are actually very happy with the ranger class, perfectly happy with it. So, you know, it's not going to change it for those people who are happy and have just learned the rules. They're not going to have to learn something completely new now or people in organized play or whatever that is. Um, So this, this was great for me to see. I'm happy to see that they are addressing things this way. It was interesting that all we talked about was the ranger. I wonder what other significant finds are in that survey that they're not ready to talk about. I want to hear from you guys. Dave Gibson, you told me you have some very specific things you'd like to say. How do you feel about this feedback coming from the first survey? It's a little worrisome a, a bit. I don't want to repeat a fourth edition where they just revise what's in the core rule books, which actually makes the core rule books useless. But I also don't want, I don't like the idea of the new option coming in. I don't want a Beastmaster 2 through the Portal <laughs> of Time uh, build that replaces it and is better, uh, even if it is free. But, and I also don't want a, a feat tax replacing it. I don't want just like an improved Beastmaster feat that they can just lo- throw on. Because then feat taxes are just less fun. It's, less, it's, a, it's a new option that actually gives you less options because it's so mandatory. I'm not sure what the, the best middle ground is. If I was doing it, I'd probably opt to add a little power to it just like if you want to bring your beastmaster in line with the other classes add this mm-hmm. sub power and you at third level your beast also can gets an extra couple hit points or you can make an offhand attack as a bonus action or just something that's additive and not replacing but the old new option thing just makes me wary so for what did you think of this feedback i thought it was interesting uh, i agree that i'm a little worried that it's going to become confusion creep if that's you know opposed to power creep you know their last paragraph there where they talk about where they need to balance it and people who like the ranger can keep playing and people who don't like the ranger should feel though the new options allow them to play the ranger they want and new power and new options are exactly that and and dm should feel feel to ignore it all if they want to it's like well then what are you doing (laughs) 
I'm a brand new player and I want to play a ranger. Do I have to have seven handouts and the player handbook <laughs> to to create a to create one? I mean that that's just confusing to me. And then I'm going to go back to it. You know, I'm obviously I've become the organized play dude. But what's this mean for Adventures League? Am I, am I going to have to worry about players showing up and going? Well, I created this ranger using using these rules out of um, you know Unearth Arcana, and is that legal? And me having to look somebody in the face and going, I don't know, maybe not. So you can't play. Go home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I love the fact that they're they're looking at this and they're raising their hand and going, Hey, we hear you. There are players that don't like the ranger or whatever class they're talking about, right? I think that's really great. And I want them to look at that and see ways to tweak it. But I think they need to be really clear and very concise and give us guidelines of when to use these and when not to use these and how to use them. That's my only concern. Yeah, and I believe that's, you know, that's definitely the case, especially in something like, you know, Unearthed Arcana. I think that that's a, a great example of where you could clarify some things and don't just clarify it on the Adventurers League website, clarify it on your official website, you know, so that... People right. don't have to look at one thing and then go back and hunt down another thing to see if they're allowed to do it. So um, also, James, I, I found it interesting that the, they, they state that the campaign is just getting started, that most of, a, most of the people responding are playing at sixth level or below. So my question is, do you think that's be- only because the system is so new or that most people are playing in organized play, which lately has been fourth level and below? Why do you think that so many players are just playing at sixth level? I think it's probably a combination of those things, but I do think certainly the fact that the game has only been out since the summer is is one big sticking point. And I know a lot of people, you know, waited until they had the monster manual or the DMG to officially start their campaign or they took their time world building. So their campaigns are just getting started. You know, my my games are both at sixth level right now, you know, unless you're really meeting on a very aggressive schedule. You're, and have been since the summer, you probably aren't that high or you started at a, a higher level. But I also think, I would guess that at any given time, there are a lot more low-level groups just because people start over, you know, people enjoy the lower levels. And because of the way in past editions things have broken down at higher level, it's not necessarily as fun. It becomes a little more tedious in combat. So I, I wonder if that trend will continue in in some respects i'm sure that we'll see more people playing higher level later on but i bet that a majority of people continue to play in those you know first 10 levels andrew kane what did you think of the feedback from the first survey i think i mean i generally agree with everything that's been said i think it's a double-edged sword because you want you want them to respond to potential weaknesses uh, or perceived um, issues with a class or an ability or whatever it might be, in this case, um, the ranger specifically. But at the same time, I also agree, you don't want to create a situation where in order to adequately and effectively play the character, you need to have plumbed the depths of several different resources when the player's handbook for most players should be that resource, you know? And so I think it's, it's tough. You want to be, you want to be careful so that you're not, uh, you know, one of the things that came away from the surveys, there's a lot of new players and DMS out there. Welcome to D and D, but you don't want to turn them off when they're like, Oh, I don't, you know, (laughs) I, 
I thought I just needed this book, uh, you know, and I don't know that that will happen for a lot of people. And I'm not saying it will. I just think it's I just agree with what's been said. Whereas, you know, the player's handbook, you want that to be what you're going off. But then if you have an underpowered class or something, you want that redressed. And so I think it's just a matter of how that's done and how effectively that information's put out. And because there's a lot of different ways home play, organized play, et cetera, to play D&D, you want that to come together in a way that allows all the stakeholders to be happy about it, not feel like they're kind of, what's going on here? Or next month, is there going to be a new thing that will, you know, make what I wanted to do better or take it away completely, whatever it might be? I know how to fix all of our concerns. (laughs) I wonder if you're thinking what I'm thinking, but go ahead. (laughs) Give us digital tools or, I don't know, yep. PDFs you can update. <laughs> I don't exactly. Know. exactly. Act like it's the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, an ebook that you could just update would be great. What really worries me is the Druid, because it's easy to fix the Ranger, because you can just add something to it and make it better. And it's a little annoying, but it's not that hard to just write it down in an index card or print something out and slip it into the player's handbook. It's The Druid is going to be much harder to fix without actually changing something. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to be the, I think that be the, the litmus test for how they do this. Yeah. I wonder if what they're going to do is just say, you know, listen, DMs, you have the option to not allow the moon druid and we're coming out with all these other moon druid builds in elemental evil or whatever our next adventure paths are. And you can use those builds instead. I think playing a shape-shifting druid is a lot of fun. It'll be interesting to see, Dave. You're definitely right. It's easier to start with something that's a little underpowered and give it some juice as opposed to taking away some juice from something that's a little overpowered. Let's talk about the next step, which was the second 5th edition survey that came out. Um, This covered six classes, the Barbarian, Bard, Monk, Paladin, Sorcerer, and Warlock. And then it actually also covered material from the first Unearthed Arcana Eberron article. Um, It asked for feedback on the races within that PDF. You know, we're we're getting a little bit of the past, but they're also looking for feedback already on things that are are coming down the line. You know, presumably some Eberron races uh, will be coming at us eventually at some point in this run of 5th edition. I want to know, what did you think, Andrew Kane? Uh, I agree with you. I like that they're, again, evaluating where they stand with what's been already put out there, but they're not afraid to look ahead to what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, But again, I think it all comes back to how that information is utilized and used to make adjustments. Um, And I think Topher's point about um, a need for digital tools potentially um, is really important because as you are making these types of adjustments and additions, et cetera, to add more layers, uh, make things more interesting, uh, that's great. I, I like that. I do want that. But it also, you know, you want it to be accessible to everyone from the most savvy of players uh, and DMs to those who are uh, newer to the fold. Topher, what did you think? I thought it was good. Um, I, I love the fact the Eberron stuff was in there. I think that's fantastic. It gives us hope that they may be looking to give us more worlds to play in on a regular basis. And I love everything about that. I was a little disappointed that as we talked about James last during the last survey was they didn't ask me this time. They didn't ask me if I was a DM or a player. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. At least last time they asked me. And I think that was purely so they could see how many DMs, how many players they have. And I would have loved to be able to answer the questions about the classes from a DM's point of view. 
you know, obviously I picked the the paladin and the and the bard as the two I gave the feedback on because the two classes I play the most when I when I get to play. But I would love to as I've had all of those classes at my table at some point as a DM. And I would have loved to gone in and say, all right, let me answer this from a DM's point of view. And I didn't feel like I had that that place. And I don't know. I just I think they they I, we need to get the whole picture, and I really want them to get that whole picture. There was no questions about do you DM, do you not DM, do you you know? And and that is a, a little frustrating. And that was the other thing is I was so surprised to see that we're talking about Eberron and we are not giving feedback on monsters and the dungeon master's guide and you know and granted i know that less people are looking at that because you know it's only one fifth of D players who are dms or whatever but i still think it's important to provide feedback on those things because there are some areas that in my opinion you know and i'm sure in a lot of other people's opinions that could use uh, at least a second look from wizards uh what do you think dave i think the eberron edition was really getting it out there well, the anvil is hot, well, it was fresh in people's minds, and to kind of uh, establish a precedent that they were going to be reviewing the Unearthed Arcana material and probably reevaluating it and getting, doing that quickly. Since the first article had come out so fast, I think they really wanted to show that they were actually going to really look at making it better and improving it and listen to the feedback on that. So I think that's more why we got the Eberron stuff included. I think it's going to be a long time before we see the monsters and DM for surveys. It, you can review the spell cast in the classes, but you can't review their spell lists or individual spells. So we got like three surveys at least to just the player's handbook, if even that. And um, you know, it's a lot of content to cover. I want to make sure that we say that that as much as we've said, we don't like this, we don't like this, we don't like this, we want them to keep doing it because we want, the, just like you said, James, give the community a voice to to you know tell wizard of the coast what they think yeah it's certainly better than having no feedback survey at all this is definitely a step in the right direction now we just need a survey for the surveys to let them know (laughs) 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 guys let's move on to our final topic talking about future non-tabletop rpg products for uh wizards of the coast and dungeons of dragons obviously they're going to continue to put out rule books and adventures and we know about things that are coming down the pike uh, sword coast legends as far as video games go we talked about D dice masters on this podcast a little bit while ago we know that there's board games coming we know that there's a lot of cool branded products t-shirts uh, there were dungeons and dragons shoes at one point there have been movies uh, according to Wolfgang Bauer, there was lunch meat at one point way back when, when <laughs> D&D was really at its height. And this comes to us from our own Dave Gibson. We are going to speculate right now about what are some other D&D branded things that we might see in the future. What do you want to see? What do you think we'll see? Uh, what are you scared to see? I just thought it was interesting when I, when I pitched this. I was uh, thinking about making a joke about collectible dice games for coming back. And then like, it was later that evening when they announced Dice Masters. <laughs> I'd like to see the return of Three Dragon Ante, because I think a, a card game that's somewhat related to D&D would be kind of neat. Mm-hmm. They seem to treat it like the other RPG products and just throw it out there, let it go out of print, and then do like expansions and sequels. I think a, a kind of uh, an evergreen Three Dragon Ante might be kind of fun. And I'd also like to see the, the Dungeon Tile Master sets come back. 
you can still find them probably if you look hard enough and I don't know how out of print they are, but that's something that's useful in any edition, that in the map packs. And uh, something that kind of, I, I made my own condition cards for my website, but official ones would be kind of nice, something prettier, sturdy cardstock, so that way you can track what Exhausted does on a, and know exactly which conditions and capacity to itself. Yeah, and you can just hand it to a player and say, here you go, this is what this means. Keep exactly. moving. That's, that's something more Gale Force 9 would do, because they're doing the spell cards, but it'd be a really simple product to do. Topher Cohen, what would you like to see uh, as future uh, non-TRPG products from WotC? I want us to all stop using TRPG. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dumbest thing ever. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I'm with Dave. I want a card game. I want uh, I think that this game is ripe for a um, like a deck building game, like the Marvel or the DC game that just came out um, recently, or like any of the ones from um, Fantasy Flight, the Star, the Star Trek, or I mean, I mean, sorry, the Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings ones. I think this game is ripe for that, and I think that'd be kind of great. Use the three dragon ante methodology for it. Uh, since um, Wiz Kids has the license and they're putting out the miniatures and stuff. I would like to see a hero clicks variant. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So use that, use use the current hero clicks rules and opposed to me fighting with Superman and Batman, have me fight with Dritz and, you know, bronze beard or something. I think that would be a ton of fun. Make it a skirmish type game where you have lots of pieces on the board and have armies attacking each other. That'd be great. Uh, with that in mind, I would like a, an official uh, add-ons to the dungeon command. Yeah. With, um, with, with the tied into the new storylines. I'd love to see, you know, a bunch of dragon cultists and a, and a dragon mini in there to have us fight. I think that'd be lots and lots of fun. Uh, I want more swag. I'm a James knows this about me. I'm a swag dude. You you give me a branded T-shirt, I will wear it all day long, right? So I want some new D and D um, you know T-shirts and water bottles and you know bags to carry my books in and you know hell give me pencil cases and key binders chains. and yeah. keychains. All about this Belt stuff. Buckles. I would be all about, yes, yes. I want that stuff. And you know, let's face it. What I really want, you guys know what I really want. I want my, you know, Dritz Underdark Underoos. Let's be clear. <laughs> let's be very clear. I would wear them on the outside when I went and ran D and D all day long. Now, now that's an image for people who know me. That's an image. <laughs> I don't know you. That's still an image. <laughs> uh, and finally, we turn to the man, the myth, the legend, Andrew Kane. Here, a Andrew is probably one of the largest movie buffs I know. If <laughs> Definitely the largest, actually. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say, uh, you know, Andrew knows more about pop culture than anybody else I know. Um, so, Andrew, I'm really interested to hear what do you think the future holds and what would you like to see from D&D &D branded products? Bobbleheads. <laughs> oh, yeah. And pop vinyl figures, probably. Would be, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I'm just, I mean, those would be awesome. Uh, they would definitely go on my desk. Uh, you know, nothing sweeter than a half-work barbarian bobblehead with a sweet, sweet great axe or something like that. I don't know. I struggle sometimes because of the thing I like about 
D&D is the game and how you play it and who you're playing with and how you play. It's going to be different every time, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as someone, a movie lover and also a comic book lover, it would be interesting to see those formats possibly explored uh, in a different way. Mm-hmm. On the movie front, um, mostly just to get the taste out of our mouth of, uh, from, oh. you know, uh, <laughs> that, that hit that hit movie from around 2000, um, <laughs> Jeremy Irons' finest work, uh, among others, uh, Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's tough. It's because of the nature of the game. It's different for everyone. You can't make a, you know, it would be hard to make a movie, but there's also so much material to plumb the depths of, you know, really get get into that could be interesting. So I, I would love to see that. D&D has so many great monsters. I'm surprised that they haven't done like little plush figures for those. I mean, you could do like a little plush Russ monster, a little plush owl bear, <laughs> like things like that are just like so, you know, so fun and cute and adorable and just kind of uh, appeal to different, like different audiences than just uh, other gamers. Cause I didn't want to buy hero clicks, but if you get like a little stuffed owl bear, it raises more, you know, awareness and, yeah. I can give it to my son and he can be like associate owl bears with fun. <laughs> yeah, kids books would actually be another good audi- good audience for it. Uh they've done novels and they tried to do some junior novels with uh which was aimed at like 12-year-olds, which isn't that much lower than the audience of the actual dress novels, maybe a year or two. But if they aimed significantly lower or even like little readers, they have enough art that they could easily turn out a bunch of like easy readers for little kids and just get the the D and D name out there. Because I mean, Transformers is lots of little kids books, and like all the the DC and Marvel superheroes are little kids books. There's no reason they couldn't do like a little D and D adventurers with like you know going into a dungeon and looking for gold and solving a traps and puzzle solving. Yeah, you know, I've I've actually been touting that for years. I think that. They should be doing more to get kids on board a little bit early, including like a very, very basic version of the game for kids to play. Um, yeah. you know, or the old choose your own adventure type books. Yeah, yeah, that would be a perfect way to do it, right? So let's remember that the fourth edition version of the comic book, the one that IDW put out, was written by John Rogers, who, among other things, he co-created um, Blue Beetle, but he also was the creator of the TNT series Leverage. Mm. So I think that's what we need. We need John to come back, write a good comic series that it's really kind of rock stars, then spin it off into an either an animated or an acting television show. There are problems with a and d movie because how do you tell a story and make it feel like D&D? And I think you could really accomplish that in a television show when you have more time to let the story breathe and kind of the episodic nature of getting together once a week to watch the story in itself is very d and I think, and I think we're ripe for that now with the the huge popularity of, of um, Game of Thrones. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's that epic of a scale. But if you look at the other end of the spectrum with things like Arrow and The Flash, I think the, a D&D television show could fall squarely in the middle on a channel like CW or TNT or even HBO or Showtime. That's going to do it for this episode. Andrew Kane, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Cavalier Kane, that's K-A-V-A-L-I-E-R-K-A-N-E. Excellent. Dave Gibson, where can people find you? My blog and webcomic, 5-Minute Workday, it's 5MWD.com, and I'm on Twitter at, at DND Jester. 
And we'll be posting Dave's condition cards in the show notes over at thetomeshow.com. So be sure to go there to grab those. And Topher Cohen, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Topher ATL. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. You can also find me on Google Plus at the same place. You can also find me. I'm the Southeast Regional Coordinator for the Adventures League. Woo. So if you live in the Southeast, come on over to Facebook to D&D Adventures League U.S. Southeast and ask to join and you know get involved with the community you play in. And if you live in the metro Atlanta area, come on out to Titans Game to Comics. I'm the coordinator there for, for the Adventures League stuff, and we have a great community, and come join us. And people, if you have a question or comment or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Andrew, Dave, and Topher. Many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and to Sam Dillon for getting the podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.